among all of the prophets of Israel. Perhaps none were more revered, more venerated, more celebrated, more quoted and cited than the Judean statesman prophet named Isaiah. Isaiah ben Amos was born in the city of Jerusalem about 740 B.C. His ministry would span almost half a century, beginning during the reign of Judean king Uzziah, extending all the way into the early years of King Manasseh. In fact, history tells us that King Manasseh is the one that ordered Isaiah's assassination and that his body be sawn in two. You may remember that veiled reference in Hebrew chapter 11 talking about the heroes and heroines of faith, but others were tortured and their bodies were sawn in two. Most likely, that is a veiled reference to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was a citizen of the city of Jerusalem. He was a counselor to the monarchs. He was a historiographer in the Judean courts. But in the year that King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw himself as a man of unclean lips, living among people whose lips were unclean. Seraphim. Bearing with tongs live coals of fire were brought and touched his lips. His iniquity was purged. His sin was atoned for. And hearing the voice of God, he responded, Here am I, Lord. Send me. And with blistered lips and blazing tongue, Isaiah went and confronted the evil of his day. He confronted the hypocrisy of worship that had become polluted. He confronted corruption that had come as a result of prosperity. He warned of impending judgment and a rising power in Assyria and even referred to the rising power in the north of the Babylonians. But perhaps what is remembered most about Isaiah are the cherished words that he had to say about the coming of a Messiah. Those that have walked in darkness will see a great light. And upon those that dwell in the valley of the shadows, a light will dawn. A child will be born, a son will be given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. He will come and wear the ensign of authority. And on his shoulders, he will have a shoulder strong enough to bear the government. He will dispel the darkness and he will reign as a righteous king. Not only will he be ceremonially anointed with oil, but he will be anointed for his work with the person and power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. 
And Isaiah said he would be conscious of this anointing. He will speak of his anointing. And it will be this anointing of the Holy Spirit that will enable him to bring comfort to those that will be mourning. To bring beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning. And the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Because of his anointing, the poor will hear the good news. The brokenhearted will be healed. Those that were imprisoned will suddenly be liberated. And the year of the Lord's favor will be proclaimed. He will come and have with him garments of salvation and robes of righteousness. To those who were ashamed, he will bring about great liberation. To those that have been disgraced, he will bring everlasting joy. For he will procure a righteous covenant and a covenant that will endure forever. But the years passed. Isaiah died. The Assyrians rose, reigned, and then fell. The Babylonians came, they rose, they reigned, and they fell. The Persians came, they rose, they reigned, and they fell. Alexander the Great and his exploits came and then went. The Hasmonean dynasty came and went. And after all of these years, Israel, like much of the known world, was under the power and under the occupation of Rome. Rome with its marching legions. Rome with its capital imperial city that was built upon seven hills. Rome, the expanse of the kingdom being so great until people were saying the sun never sets on the Roman Empire. But all of a sudden, something is beginning to happen. News has come that there is a prophet from a priestly family in the hills of Galilee that is now in the Jordan River near Bethany. He is wearing a camel's garment. And he is standing knee deep in the Jordan River. He is calling people to repentance. And he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. News also has it that there is a man from Nazareth, the son of a carpenter who has come as far as Bethany to the Jordan River to be baptized by this prophet. And the news goes on to say that as he was coming out of the water, the baptizer, John, said that he saw the Holy Spirit descending upon him in the form of a dove, and he heard the voice of the Father say, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now there is further news that is spreading. There's a couple in Cana who said that he saved their marriage ceremony from disgrace and had turned water into wine. News also has it that he's already made a trip to Jerusalem. And while he was in Jerusalem, he absolutely revolutionized the temple and had a conversation with a man who was a member of the Sanhedrin, something about 
being born again. They also say that in Sychar, there was a woman who was running around saying, Come see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Is not this the Messiah? Even from Herod's household, Herod Antipas, one of his soldiers, is saying that this man spoke a word and brought healing to his son that was 20 miles away just with the power of his word. Well, whatever that's about, it's the Sabbath day. And here in the Sabbath day in Nazareth, the devout worshipers of Jehovah God are making their way into the synagogue. Now, according to the Mishnah, a synagogue service included about five to seven movements. As people began to gather in the synagogue, the liturgy, first of all, called for them to recite the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That would be followed by the recitation of 18 prayers. Following the 18 prayers, the priest would pronounce a priestly blessing. Then the scrolls would be brought out and the Torah would be read. And then the prophets would be read. And, and they would be translated into the language of the people that were gathered there from that community. If there was a priest or a rabbi present following that, he would then sit down and occupy a chair of teaching that in each synagogue was called the chair of Moses. And he would explain what they had just listened to and heard. Then at the end of that synagogue service, the people would begin to rejoice for having heard Jehovah God speak to them through his word. Well, now in the synagogue service there in Nazareth, it has come time for the reading of the prophets. And Jesus, the carpenter's son of Nazareth, is standing up. And the attendant hands him a scroll from the prophet Isaiah. Now, whether or not the attendant chose the place where he was to read, having heard about all the miracles that are already occurring, or whether Jesus himself chose it, or whether it was just part of the liturgy, it was the reading of the day that God had organized. Regardless of how it happened, Jesus took the scroll of Isaiah, and he found the place that was written, and he began to read aloud. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled back the scroll and then he handed it to the attendant and the eyes of all of those that were in the synagogue were upon him and then he sat down as other rabbis did and he began to teach and he began to say this day the scripture is fulfilled in your ears now, we have come to something of a Jesus revolution, have we not? Over the last several weeks, the last several months, people's attention has again be focused on 
Jesus. You see the movie that has been released, the Jesus Revolution, documenting the Jesus movement that took place in the late 60s and the early 1970s. Campuses all over the nation have suddenly been swept up into spontaneous worship and praise focusing on Jesus. This week being Holy Week, the eyes of the world are again focused on Jesus. Is this Jesus the true Messiah? And if he is that Messiah, how shall we know? Well, one way that we will know that he is genuinely the Messiah is if he fulfills this manifesto that was given through the prophet Isaiah. If Jesus is truly the Messiah, then when he came, the poor would have the gospel preached unto them. And when it comes to the gospel being preached to the poor, when Jesus came, promise made and promise kept. In fact, the news to the poor began on the night of his birth when the angels appeared and announced the good news to most despised people in all of the land of Israel, the shepherds. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. In the days of Jesus, poverty was rampant. The tax burdens were high and the debts were very heavy. Literacy was only reserved mainly for the scribes. Many people that lived, especially around Galilee where Jesus was growing up, depended on the land and on the sea for their livelihood. The farms were small and often the land itself was barren. Under Roman rule, the poor had no rights. They had no legal standing. As a matter of fact, uh, the, the poor were seldom even given the good news of any kind of news that would be spread through the land. But when Jesus began his ministry, one of the first sermons he preaches, he preaches in Luke chapter 6, blessed are you who are poor for your is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you, when they reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how the ancestors treated the prophets. Disciples of Jesus came, or disciples of John came to him. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind are receiving their sight. The lame are walking. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have the gospel preached unto them. When Jesus came, he went to the 
poor. The common people heard him gladly. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was teaching, he said, you have heard from some of your religious leaders about a God who is angry and censorious, a God who cannot wait to damn the unclean to hell. But the real God, he is like a shepherd who leaves the ninety and nine to search for one that is lost. The real God is like a Palestinian peasant woman who searches her world to look for one lost coin out of ten. The real God is like a father whose son is away he keeps the gates unlocked. He keeps the robe pressed. He keeps the ring polished. He keeps the shoes shine. He keeps the gates open. He is waiting for him to come back. As a matter of fact, he talked about a God. A God. When the others were rejecting him, he would say, I'm going to make a banquet and I'm going to invite the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame to come into my banquet so that my house will be filled. He talked about a rich man that was fared sumptuously every day and clothed in fine linen and a poor man named Lazarus who sat by the gate begging and said that man was going to be judged by walking by that opportunity of poverty every single day. He warned against greed and he said a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. He warned about being rich in this world, but not being rich in things pertaining to God. Oh, when it came to Jesus, he did not selectively evangelize. He did not come with just a homogeneous movement. He just did not come to reach one level of society. Oh, no, when Jesus came, the poor, the rich, the included, the excluded, the women, the men, the children, everyone was invited into the presence of Jesus. Come all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Whoever soever will, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. You may be here tonight and the burden is heavy. There's more month than there is money. You may be here tonight and you may be economically depressed. But I want to tell you, oh, everyone that thirsts, come to the waters. And he that hath no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. You don't have to pay anything to come to Jesus. You don't have to pay anything to be saved. The price has already been paid. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses. The poor had the gospel preached to them. But not only so, the brokenhearted, Isaiah said, would be healed. If Jesus was really the Messiah, he would come after those who are brokenhearted. Promise made, promise kept. Jesus came to this earth. 
And he demonstrated a God who is near to those who have a broken heart. Who saves those who are of a contrite spirit. A broken and a contrite heart. He does not despise. When Jesus came, he talked about a God and demonstrated that God cares about those whose hearts have been broken. Early in his ministry, he was there in Galilee. And the way around Galilee, there was a woman whose heart had been broken time and again. She was in a little town called Nain. Her husband had already died. She was a widow. But now her only surviving son was dead. And her heart was broken. The body of her son already was wrapped in the winding sheet. The napkin was already over his face. His body was already on the bier. That open stretcher made of wicker. They were on their way to the cemetery. The funeral dirge was playing. The funeral orator was leading. And her heart was broken in grief. But something about the tears caught the ear of Jesus. Notice where he was when he came to her. To get to her, he had to walk all, walk, walk all the way around the northern shore of Galilee. Climb up and over Mount Tabor. Walk through the farm fields. Get over to Mount Mora. Go up and over Mount Mora. And then walk through more plains just to get to her 25 miles. He had to walk and got there just in time to stop the funeral procession and come near to a woman whose heart is broken. He showed us there is no distance that Jesus will not travel for someone who has a broken heart. He showed us there are no hearts so broken that Jesus will not heal. He even reached out and touched the dead corpse. He showed us there is no one so defiled that Jesus Jesus is not willing to touch. He raised that boy and gave him back to his mother and showed that there is no relationship so dead that Jesus cannot heal. Hear me tonight. God cares about your heart that is broken. So many of us sometimes are ashamed of our tears. We, we, we even use the expression, I don't want people to see me break down. I don't want people to see me lose it. I suggest there is nothing more beautiful to God than the tears that are shed. Tears supply a language when sighs are too deep for words. Nothing captures the heart of God quicker than a broken heart and tears that are falling down someone's face. Tears to the point that they can't even articulate the pain that they are in. It was tears that got the attention of God. Why 
his people were in bondage. I have seen their bondage. I have heard their cry. I know their sorrow. It was the tears that got the attention of God by Hagar and the baby that was crying there. A single mom who was out there with nothing and yet the tears that that baby shed suddenly got the attention of God and he revealed himself to her as the God who sees. He does see. He does see your broken heart. The God who saw the tears of Esther as she fell down before the king and begged the king to do something about Haman's atrocity. The same God who saw the tears of David when David said, I have made my bed a a bed full of tears. The same God that heard the cry of Jeremiah, oh, that my eyes were like water and my eyes a fountain of tears is the same God that hears your cry. Jesus was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. He cried at the tomb of Lazarus. He cried in the garden of Gethsemane. He cried over the sins of the city of Jerusalem and his heart is touched with your pain tonight and he wants you to know that there is coming a day weeping may endure for the night but joy will come in the morning Maybe people here tonight have just gone through a divorce and you've you've cried till there is no more tears. There may be people tonight so burdened for your children that you can hardly live. There may be people here tonight that have received news just in the last few days that have broken your heart to the point that you can't even talk. I want to tell you that Jesus is here tonight and he can heal those that are broken hearted. He can take his handkerchief dipped in the fountain filled with blood and he can push back the tears. But more than that, he can heal the broken in hearts. Psalm 147 says that he heals the broken in heart and he binds up their wounds. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to preach the gospel to the poor. He came to free the prisoner. If he's really the Messiah, it says here that the prisoners, he sent me to proclaim freedom to prisoners. Not only prisoners that are incarcerated in jail unjustly, but those that are imprisoned by fear, those that are imprisoned by doubt, those that are imprisoned by unbelief, those that are even imprisoned demonically by the power of the devil. Jesus has come to set prisoners free. You know, the writer of the Hebrews talks about people like you and me. Who all of our life have been trapped in the bondage to the fear of death. And said Jesus took upon himself flesh. 
that he might destroy him who has the power of death and to liberate all of those who all of their life have been imprisoned by the fear of death. Jesus has done that. He comes to set prisoners free. He came to set. In fact, he said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And John said, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. There is no kind of fear or no kind of demonic stronghold that can hold you back when you come to Jesus. The power of the devil was not even strong enough to keep the demoniac of Gadara from running to Jesus and falling down before him and beginning to worship. There's no demonic power that can stand in his presence. Jesus met the devil in the wilderness and defeated him. Jesus freed a young daughter in Syrophoenicia, in Tyre and Sidon, across the border from Israel. He went over there to free that young girl. He, he, he freed the demoniac of Gadara. And with his word and with his power, that man that no man can tame found himself at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And he went to Decapolis to tell what Jesus had done. Oh, yes, there's no power because Jesus took your sins. And he went took my sins. And he went out to an old trash heap called Calvary. And they hung him high, and, and, and they stretched him wide. And, and, and Paul said to the church at Colossae, he took the handwritings and the ordinances that were against us and contrary to us. He took them out of the way. He nailed them to the cross. And then he disarmed principalities and powers and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. He rose from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named and at his name every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things on the earth and things under the earth and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. I've seen him do it. You've seen him do it. We need to see him do it again. He can liberate those that are imprisoned. <laughs> he can set them free. Promise made. Promise kept. Said that he would open the eyes of the blind. Again, those that sat in darkness will see a great light. Those that are blinded physically. We see that over and over in the scripture. Bartimaeus. Lord, that I might receive my sight. In John 9. The man born blind. One thing I know. Whereas I was blind, now I can see. He can heal. He can deliver those. Who are in blindness, but not just physical blindness. You know, Helen Keller said, those 
are not so blind as those who will not see. He needs to heal some blindness. Not only physical blindness. Know how my heart goes out to people that are struggling with ophthalmological deteriorating diseases. My own mother has seen a drastic change in her life because of disease in her eyes. And I move with compassion. But I think there may be blindness as bad as, if not worse than that. Some of us are blind to our families. We're blind to our spouse that desperately needs our attention. We're blind to opportunities that the Lord wants to open up for us. And yet we don't see that he's there opening them up. Others of them, the God of this world has blinded the hearts of those who do not believe. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. We need to cry like Bartimaeus, Lord, that we may receive our sight. Son of David, have mercy upon me. He healed those who were blinded. But then he said he would come and pronounce the year of the Lord's favor. The entire nation of Israel were built around, was built around, at least calendar-wise and otherwise, around the feasts, the celebrations that they would have, and particularly the days that commemorated creation. Seven, a number of completion, became very important to them. Seven days of creation. On the seventh day, God rested. The seventh month became a very important month for the nation of Israel. The Day of Atonement, the tenth day of the seventh month, became very important. Every seven years was a sabbatical year. And then seven sets of seven years, 49 years, the next year would be called the year of Jubilee or the year of the Lord's favor. It began on that 49th year, on the Day of Atonement. The shofar would be sounded. And at the sounding of the shofar, debts that had been accumulating for 49 years were suddenly paid in full. Property that had been pledged for debt or property that had been sold at the sound of the shofar immediately was returned back to the owner. At the sounding of the shofar, those who were indentured servants could not pay their debt and sold themselves into slavery to pay their debt instantly. They were liberated and set free. All of it came as the year of the Lord's favor began to dawn. When Jesus came, he proclaimed, it's not just 365 days of favor. I'm coming to say that I am the fulfillment and now the Lord's favor comes and continues. He liberated for us through his cross what the blood of bulls and goats and 
animals could never do. He liberated through the power of his cross what all of the feasts and the festivals could not accomplish. Sacrifices that have to be offered over and over, year after year, no more. By one offering, he brought about the entire perfection of the human race and made redemption possible for every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl. The year of the Lord's favor has come. He has come to restore everything that was lost in the fall in the garden of Adam and Eve. He has come to restore that which the enemy has taken, that which the enemy has stolen. Jesus Christ at his cross, he came to restore it all. And when he came to this earth, he announced the year of the Lord's favor. He announced it in Nazareth. He announced it at Capernaum. He announced it in the Decapitalist. He stepped over the border and began to announce it in the regions of Tyre and Sidon, even in Syrophoenicia. He announced it in the plains of Australia. He announced it in Jericho. He announced it up in Bethany. He announced it in Bethphage. He came and he announced it in Bethlehem. He announced it in the city of Jerusalem. And he wants to announce it right here today in the New River Valley that the year of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus has come. Hallelujah. And the amazing thing is before he left he said as the Father has sent me that's how I'm Sending you. And he breathed upon them. And said receive the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that came upon Jesus at his baptism. The same Holy Spirit that overshadowed his mother Mary. Is the same Holy Spirit that God wants to pour out on you and upon me. So that we can heal the broken heart. So that we can preach the gospel to the poor. So that the blind can receive their sight. And those that are bound can be liberated. And that the year of the Lord's favor can spread. Here tonight. I don't think there's a better moment than this moment right now. To have a fresh Encounter with Jesus. An encounter with Jesus Christ tonight can liberate, can restore, can deliver, can turn things around for you. You can leave here tonight saying, I once was blind, but now I can see. You can leave here tonight with a freedom that you've never known possible. You can leave here tonight with a sense of deliverance, a sense of freedom. You can leave here tonight with peace. You can leave here tonight with the brokenness of your heart 
being seen, being heard, being understood, being healed. Jesus, Jesus is the answer. I want to ask you tonight, how many of you in this room, you would say, Pastor, there's some things that I'm facing that only a power greater than me is able to sort it out. Maybe you've come to realize, you would say, Pastor, my mom who loves me can't help me with this one. My dad who loves me, he can't help me with this one. I need something. I need help from the Lord tonight. Father, tonight, I pray that Jesus Christ would become visible to every person in this room. Visible spiritually in their hearts. I rebuke every lie that the enemy has tried to tell. To those tonight, Lord, that have been so disturbed and even disgusted and hurt, I pray, I pray that you would break through tonight with the love that bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. I pray tonight, oh, Lamb of God, hear my cry tonight. Restore for someone what's been lost. Restore for someone tonight what has seemed so broken. Do a work. Do a work in Jesus' name.